You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Ah, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Good morning to everybody online. That's a good song, wasn't it? Yeah, man, when the bones are good. How many of y'all got some good bone marriages? We got any marriages in here like uh, over 20 years? Over 20? Okay, over 30? Oh, hands again. Okay, we got some yes, Lord going on. Over 40? Yep, over 40? Okay, let's go for it. Let's go bigger, go home. 60. Any 60? See, I skipped that 51. 50? Let's go to 50. Okay, we got some. Man, good on you. Good on you. Yes, give him a big hand. My wife and I have been married for 32 years. We've been together for 42 years. And first 10 years were her fault, not mine. So... Now, I always claim the first 10 years. I always say we've been together 42 years. I think we deserve it. We've been together 10 years before we got married. So that's just good stuff. And it's always good to have good bones. And I know regardless of what you see going on the outside, bones are good. I said bones are good. we all intact up in there. Man, this is an awesome time to be alive right now. Do y'all get excited about life right now? I mean, this is just one of the most exciting times to be alive in the history of the world. I was thinking about that this week that... You know, I got saved, Lordy Day, I got saved 32 years ago. 32 years ago when I got saved, I got saved outside of the church. So crazy salvation story. I was radically saved, jacked up saved, obnoxiously saved. I was so excited and on fire for God. And then, you know, life happens, right? Life is just life. And so, you know, the excitement kind of wanes a little bit. Your faith doesn't. But, you know, things just happen. You kind of start kind of going downhill a little bit. But lately, man, I've just been getting fired up. I mean, it's all this talk about end times, rapture. I mean, when you've got Dr. David Jeremiah doing sermons on the end times and the rapture and all that, that's just, if you don't know what rapture is, Google it. It's awesome. I can't wait for it. I wish it would have happened yesterday. That's just good stuff. And, and, and it's funny because, you know, you look at it and you're thinking, Eddie, what are you talking about? Like the world's going crazy, man. It's getting worse and worse and it's getting harder and harder and people have lost their ever-loving minds. I know, but that's exactly what God said was going to happen. And he said it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the cool thing is, is as that is happening out there in the world, you and I are shining brighter and brighter because we know, man, it's about to go down. Like we are about to hit that spot. It is about to go down and you and I are going to be a part of that. That is just exciting to me. Now, I can honestly say that as excited as I was in the beginning and as excited as I am right now, I'd be lying if I said I've gotten everything I've asked God for. I've got a lot of stuff that I've asked God for and I've received a lot from that. There's a lot of answered prayers, but there's a lot of things that I haven't gotten yet and I don't, I don't give up believing that. I'm believing God for them and maybe you're the same way. Maybe there's some things you've been believing God for and maybe it's been a long time and maybe things and situations have happened and maybe you're losing a little bit of faith. Let me just encourage you, don't give up because you're in great company. We are in great company when we are living a life by faith and yet we don't get everything that we're believing for because in the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the Bible, a letter in the Bible, I should say, which a lot of people call the book of faith because Hebrews is just all about faith. Hebrews chapter 11 specifically, they talk about a lot of people, a lot of these people right here on the screen. 
Some of them you might recognize, David, Joseph, Abraham, Moses, Noah. A lot of those guys you recognize and gals. Some of them you may not. But at the end of the day, these are just a few of the people who lived a life of faith. And to be honest, you could put your name up there. You could put your grandmama's name, your granddaddy's name, anybody that you know that, well, you couldn't put your name because you're still here. These people ain't here no more. So you got to be somebody that's not here. But here's the deal. Here's what makes them so special and what puts us in great company. These are all people that lived a life of faith. And when you get to the very end of this chapter, the last two verses, this is what it says. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. I love that because God's saying, hey, there's something special that I have for everybody. And I, and I don't want to ruin it. Anybody ever has something really special? Like maybe, maybe you did like a big home remodel or something and you, just, you didn't want anybody to see it until it was completely done and you wanted everybody to come in and experience it at one time and just have that party atmosphere. There's something God has for us that he wants all of us to experience at the same time. And right after you read those two verses, we start into Hebrews chapter 12. And that is our verse for today. Because I don't know about you, I don't know where your faith is, but my faith is, I can literally say, like I'm peaking right now. Like I'm not tweaking, peaking. Like I am up there. I mean, my faith is just, you can say that my faith right now is unshakable. Y'all like what I did? Y'all like I did? Tie that in right now? You got to get that in there. You got to tie it in the series. So we're talking about unshakable faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses is all about how to have this un unshakable faith. So it's right after the verses I just read. Hey, all these people lived a life of faith. They got a good reputation because they did. But yeah, they didn't get everything that God had promised for them because he was holding something special for them. And so he says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, let me pause right there real quick. That Greek word for race is anon, and a better translation of it, it does mean race, it means competition, but it's more of a violent competition. Really, a better word picture for it would be like two warriors engaged in a battle. Race is also a part of it. Like in the Greek, you could have a lot of different types of def definitions for a word. So the big meaning for the word, when you, when you look at its definition, at the top of the batch of words is competition and battle and fight and then you get down the way then you get to race so i get run a run a race that's good except if you're going to do that you got to add the battle part in there and realize that who you're running the race against does not play fair okay when you go out for track and you run a race we've all got our own little lanes and a starter pistol goes off and you take off and you run in your lane you're running your race in your lane the problem with that is you've got an enemy and he don't care about where the lane is and he don't play fair. He don't care about the rules. So my man comes to run the track beat, and he's got nunchucks in his pocket. He's got a baton. He's got a stick. He's chucking stuff at your feet trying to... It's not a fair fight. But it is a fight. And it is a battle. So when I read that verse, I prefer instead of saying with perseverance run, I prefer to say let us engage in the battle. Because that's life. I don't know about y'all, but for me, that's life. 
It's a battle. It's a fight. It's not a, oh, I'm running. I'm on my five-mile run for the morning. I'm just checking out the countryside. No, it's, you might be doing that, checking out the countryside, and then, bam, bear jumps out of the bushes right there all over you, all up on you. That's, what, that's, what, that's who your enemy is, except he's a lion roaring around seeking whom to devour. Okay, let me move on. Verse 2, sorry. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Man, I love that. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So what I want to do this morning is take a journey through those two verses on your card. If you didn't get a card when you came in, just raise your hand and guest services will bring you one. And I want to parallel those two verses in Hebrew with a man in the Bible that I believe just is our greatest example of what you and I are going through. Okay, so there's a lot of people who went through a lot of stuff in the Bible. But this particular man, his name was Paul. Some of you know Paul. Um, If you don't, he really went through a life that was hard and was a fight and was a battle. But he did it with just exemplary Faith, And so I want to take a look at his life and how he did that and parallel it with the Hebrews. And I want to do all of that using Pastor Megan's example last week of this picture. How many of y'all saw Pastor Megan's message last weekend? Man, it was good. If you missed that one or the one before it, go back and watch both of them because they were amazing. But she talked about how we have a choice as to how we frame situations and circumstances in our life and how we view them. Like, this is not dictated to us that we have to view it a certain way. We have the power and the ability to reframe what we see and how we see it and how we engage and react to it. And I love even this picture because to me, this picture would be an accurate depiction of God's view of our life. In other words, when God looks at your life and my life, he sees the entire thing from beginning to end. Beginning being when he knits you together in your mother's womb, the end being eternity. Not here, not when you breathe your last breath here. Eternity, being in glory with God for all eternity. So in God's eyes, that is your life right there. If you and I were asked to paint a picture that accurately depicted our life, we couldn't do that. We could go back as far as we can remember. Maybe some of you have memories from four years old or five years old. Or you know what? Maybe you've heard enough stories from your parents that you could go back to when you were an infant and you know enough about what you were like as a child that you could paint that. But whatever you could paint, you'd have to stop right now. You can't paint beyond today because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen an hour from now, a day from now, a week. You don't know. God sees the whole thing. And I think an even more accurate depiction with this, with this picture is that this lower half, really, or lower third, really would rec- uh, represent our life here on earth. This life is always going to have troubles, trials, pain, um, battles, fights, things that you're going through. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever describe this fallen world after the fall as a pretty okay place. He doesn't do that. He says, hey, you know what? Earth is a pretty cool place. It's pretty okay. You can live a pretty decent life there, but don't get too hooked on it because there's something a lot better. Nope. From the moment of the fall, he said, this place is wicked and evil and dark and perverse and full of shame and pain and sickness and disease. That's how he sees it. And then he gives us words to encourage us to help us get through it. And we need those words to reframe how we see our life. 
And we need to get a hold of that because for a lot of us, we look at our life like this. Yep, that's my life right there. That my whole life can be summed up right there in that little bit right there. We ain't even letting no light get up in that. We're just going to keep that thing right down there. And it's not the truth. Sometimes you just need some perspective. So we're going to get some perspective this morning on Paul and his faith and how he walked out his life in these verses in Hebrews. So I want to start by reading the passage of Scripture where Paul describes his view of his faith, which is in Romans chapter 1. And he says this, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and then the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So Paul's saying if you want to have life, like real life, not breathing life, not existing life, like real life full of purpose and destiny and calling where you know you're making a difference in the world and, you are, and your life matters. You're only going to find that by living it as a life of faith in Christ. So that's how Paul saw it. And I believe you can look at Paul's life and see where he engaged his faith with three different areas of his life. And I think we can directly just parallel those right on over to us. And the first one is that we have to have faith over our past. Faith over our past. This is how Paul handled his past in Philippians. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race or this fight, this battle, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So what he's saying is, you got to, I've got to forget the past and I've got to move forward. And you say, well, Eddie, what kind of past did Paul have? If you don't know Paul, and maybe to help you so that you'll know that he can help you wherever you are. Because I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what you did before you got saved. I know personally I did some things that, that I'm the only person that knows about and did great damage to other people. And that's something that I have to live with. Paul was a man who did tremendous damage to other people. Before he met Christ and became a Christian, he was rounding up Christians and having them thrown in jail, and a lot of them lost their life because of their faith. That was on his hands. Those people's lives were on his hands. And so that was a part of his past that he had to somehow apply his faith and deal with it. And so he says, I have to forget what is in my past and press on towards what is ahead. So in other words, you got to drop the weight. Drop the weight because Hebrews describes it this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. <coughs> Excuse me. So I got this little netting thing here kind of represents sin. And here's, here's what Paul is talking about when it comes to sin and what Hebrews is talking about when it comes to sin is you need to have a certain attitude. You need to have an understanding of what Christ did on the cross and what he has provided to you when it comes to dealing with sin because we're all going to sin, everybody. You know, you may be feeling good right now because it's been 30 minutes since your last one, but I promise you, we're all going to sin, right? 
So we're all going to encounter it. So Hebrews kind of talks about it like you kind of get tripped up by it, like you're coming along and then you get tripped up by the scene. Oh, oh, oh. Man. And, and for most of us, we're like, oh, what happened? Oh, how did I get? I don't know how I, I got in it. Oh, oh, what? What is, I don't know, I need to come up with a plan. To, oh, oh, what, how did I, I okay, I got to figure out a way out of this mess. It's probably my fault. It, you can't wallow around in that stuff, all right? That's not the proper attitude. According to Paul in Hebrews, when you're coming along and you get tripped up, oh, you get tripped up by the sin, your attitude needs to be, man, get off me. What's wrong with you? That ain't me. I know I did that. I committed that sin, but that ain't me. Uh-uh. Nope, nope. I got to move on, forgetting what's behind, moving on towards what is ahead. I get that's oversimplified. However, you do need to drop it and move on. The enemy doesn't want you to. He wants you to wallow in it. He wants you to think about what a terrible person. How could you? Again, he wants to hit you up with all of that. And God is saying, look, my son died on the cross and you right now are living underneath a daggum waterfall of the grace of God. So when you're in there wallowing in it, trying to figure, you know, you're all, you're all up in here like, oh, I don't know how to get out. It's so bad and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And God's looking at you like, man, are you kidding me? Like, are you seriously going to tell me that that... that I get that. That's part of this world. That that is more powerful than this? You going to tell me my son's blood didn't take care of that? And I get it. It messes with our head, right? It messes with our head because we live in this whole thing of time and space. But God, looking at the big picture of our life, sees this as like this teeniest, tiniest little blip. I don't even think it registers as a blip on his radar. The enemy wants to keep you tangled up and snagged up in it and God is saying, no, you got to shake it off. And I'm not saying there aren't consequences, but hear me in this too. Even in the consequences, and deal, let's say that your particular sin damaged other people. The best way that you're going to be able to help them and help yourself is to shed that guilt and that weight of what you did through the grace of God. Now, it doesn't mean be arrogant about it. Because if you truly have received grace and you get it and you understand it, Probably your next reaction should be, I need help. Let me tell you why AA works. And let me tell you why I don't ever go after pursuing anybody that has a drug or an alcohol problem because you are never, ever going to help them, ever. A drug addict, an alcoholic, they get help when they do one thing. When they drop their pride and they say, I need help. And you let somebody get in there and help you. So, so dropping it doesn't mean acting like nothing happened. You're still living here, and what you're doing is affecting the people around you. So you got to let the grace of God get in there, but you can't keep beating yourself up about it. Do something about it. Get somebody else who's ahead of you on that journey and let them help you journey through it and get on the other side. And get on with this competition, this race, this battle, this fight, because i got news for you. The next train's coming. Man, complications and battles and fights in this world, it's just like the subway system in New York. Them suckers run on time. When that one leaves, you better not step out in the track to see where the next one is. It's coming, I promise you. You don't want to be in the front of it when it does. All right, so we got to, that's how we deal with our past. We've got to drop the weight of it. Anything that slows us down, and the past can be 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 minutes ago. 
From the moment you sin, from that moment on, everything else is in the past. And so you've got to find a way to move beyond it. And let me, a quick pause for those of you that were raised in what I would call a religious church. A religious church will absolutely not let you do that. A religious church finds out you messed up and they're going to say, okay, I'm going to tell you, you're going to come through the doors on that side of the sanctuary and crawl on your belly and we're going to beat the fire out of you all the way across till you get the doors on the other side and then we'll decide if you've paid enough for that. That's religion. Religion doesn't have any life in it. You've got to find the grace of God and you've got to let the grace of God get in there and help you with your past. Okay, enough about the past. So drop the weight. So now we move to the present. So we engage our faith in the past by dropping off, letting all of that weight go, not letting that slow us down and hinder us because today has enough worries of its own. So how do we engage in our faith for the present? And this is what Paul says. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So what Paul just described is this. He's like, yes, I get it, okay? The facts are this is what you're going through. The facts are you just lost that loved one. The facts are you just got that diagnosis from the doctor. The facts are you got bills that you're trying to figure out how to pay. But the truth is God is on your side. The truth is he has comfort and peace and provision for you. And he is always with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So yes, these are the facts, but this is the truth. And Paul is saying when you are hit with the facts of life, you have got to practice focusing on the truth of his word and who he is. That is what is going to carry you through. So what does that look like? That looks like keeping your eyes on Jesus. You got to keep your eyes on Jesus. So going back to our scripture in Hebrews and let us run with endurance, the race that God has set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So what does that look like in real life? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus? This is not what it is, okay? Keeping your eyes on Jesus isn't this. You know, so you ever met those people, you're like, man, you're going through some pretty tough and hard times. How are you making it? I don't know, brother, I'm just focused on Jesus. I'm just looking at him. No, that's not what it is. That, that is not, it's not, this is not some form of escapism. Eyes on Jesus means you are very fully aware that God is working in every situation and every circumstance in your life. A few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I shared with you the story of, of the battle that my wife and I are in right now concerning her job to where she has somebody in position over authority of her that has flat out put mistruths into official documents. And so luckily she's a good record keeper and she records conversations and she prints emails. So we're literally in this battle with somebody in a position of authority who is trying to attack the character and the for no reason, have no idea what the reason, I'm sure there's a reason, but whatever it is. So we're engaged in this battle. So why do you have to keep your eyes on Jesus? Well, because when your emotions get involved, it is very easy to take your eyes off Jesus. If you didn't watch that service, go back and watch it. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but there was one point and I'm listening to a conversation on a computer because when you're getting attacked, when your spouse is getting attacked, Bubba, I marched my behind right over there and I was going to tell you, you're going to quit right now. You tell her you quit, we're done. And my wife had to give me one of them things right now. <laughs> zip it, zip it. And she was right. Why? Because you don't ever make that, a decision like that with your emotions. 
At that moment, she was the most godly. She had the most Jesus because here's the truth. The truth of the matter is God's up to something. The truth of the matter is that person is not the enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. There's something behind that. And the truth of the matter is that God causes all things to work together for those who are called according to his purposes. I know we're called and that person could very well be called. So now Jesus is trying to do something. And if we get too emotional about it, if we get too upset about it, if we get too wrapped up in how angry we are, we pull the ripcord. Get out of that. Sick of it. And then later on you find out, oh, man. I mean, I don't ever want to go to heaven and God say, Eddie, if, you, if y'all had just hung in there for another month, look at what would have happened. Boom, 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 boom. You can't get emotional. So we have to have conversations. It's extremely taxing, extremely demanding on her. But what we understand from these verses is that it's producing something in us. So we can't pull the ripcord every time. I got my buddy MT around here somewhere. Where is MT at? Right there on his cell phone. He's texting somebody. So you got MT. <laughs> and so I know you're taking notes. I know. So, you know, MT, if MT's got somebody in the gym and he's a fitness expert and he's got somebody, he's trying to help them get in shape. And if every time he goes to drop that pin one more weight, they say, oh, no, no, you can't going to be adding no more weight. Well, then you're just going to stay right here, brother. I can't help you. If we don't add resistance, if we don't add weight, if we don't make this harder, you don't get stronger. You don't get in better shape. You pretty much just going to walk around with that right there. I can't help you. That's what you got. So it's the same way in God's economy. God's not sending you these things to punish you, and he's not sending them to you to make you grow. Okay, what, like I said, everything that happens in this life, it's on a schedule, man. They run all the time. Sickness, disease, loss, pain, suffering, those trains always run in this world, and they're never going to stop until this world is gone. But God says, I can equip you I can equip you not only so that you can handle it for you, but I need you to shine like a light to others. And losing a loved one is a great example. That's why the Bible says we don't mourn as those that have no hope. When we lose a loved one, it hurts. It's painful. But what's more hurtful and more painful is somebody who has no idea what happened to that person after they breathe their last breath. Or worse yet, what's going to happen to them when they breathe their last breath? There's no hope there. You and I have hope. We know. We know how much it hurts. We know how much we miss them. But we also have something in us that other people don't have that don't know the Lord. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so I'm going to slow down. Because that would be faith in our future, which is the next blank on your page. Now, I've been reading all these scriptures from Paul. I want to read this one from Peter because this one does two things. It gives us a shot of what it is we are looking forward to. And remember, Peter is talking to Christians. But also, Peter validates what I've been saying about Paul, that Paul talks about this stuff all the time. And it's got a little funny in there, too. So let me, let me read this from Peter. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen... Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So if you've ever wondered how bad is God going to let it get? Like how dark is this world going to get? How chaotic? How can he just sit back and let all this stuff happen? away? He can because he's patient because there are people that still don't know the Lord. And he wants them to get saved and he wants you and I to help him get them saved. 
This is what I, I love this. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, and I think this is funny. Some of his comments are hard to understand. So basically what Peter was saying, and this is true, you go look at every single letter that Paul wrote and what you'll find is, there, hey, you got to keep looking forward. You got to keep looking ahead, man. The glory what's coming, what you can't see is so unimaginable. It is so amazing, so marvelous. It is going to be worth every ounce of pain and suffering you endured here. This, isn't, this doesn't last forever. This doesn't last long. Get your eyes there. And the reason Paul was so passionate about it was Paul had something happen to him that the other disciples didn't. You know why Peter said, man, his words are hard to explain? Because Peter didn't experience what Paul did. Peter walked and talked with Jesus, but he walked and talked with Jesus right here. The closest Peter ever got to heaven or being in heaven was when a couple of guys showed up at a mountain that had died like hundreds of years before, and bam, it's Jesus and these two guys, and Peter was like taken back by that. He's like, oh my gosh, it's true. They didn't die. They're still alive. They're somewhere out there. Now they're right here. Paul had this event happen. Let me read it to you in his words out of 2 Corinthians. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, the third heaven is what you and I call heaven. The first heaven is like the sky, the clouds, all of that. The second heaven would be the stars and the moon, the galaxies. The third heaven is where you picture and I picture God being. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. I love that. And I've got another frame of reference for that. When, when I used to read that, I thought that was pretty amazing. I wondered what he had saw. But then I sat down several times and listened to my good friend Bobby Brunson tell his story. Bobby's sitting right back over here on this side of the sanctuary. And Bobby and his wife Kay are one of the original couples that started this church. This church started in their living room. A little small group of people in their living room. And it's grown into this. But before Cathedral started in the 70s, Bobby was struck by lightning and was dead for over 20 minutes. So 20 minutes, no heartbeat, no pulse, no breathing, no anything. And what had happened was he was on his way to work and he's backing out of his driveway. His daughter had left her bicycle in the front yard and he could see in the distance a thunderstorm was coming. So he parks his truck. He gets out to get the bicycle and put it in the garage. He said, Eddie, I reached down and I touched the bicycle and I was in heaven. Didn't hear any thunder. Didn't feel any pain from the lightning bolt. He just, I touched that bike and then boom, I am in heaven. And when he's trying to explain it to you, this same thing that Paul said, the words can't, he's like, Eddie, I'm trying to, you, you're, I can see that you're not getting, I mean, I'm telling you that the grass is green and the tree and the leaves are green, but you're picturing this green, this grass, this is nothing. It's not even close. It's not even in the ballpark. When I tell you the color blue or the color gold, you're picturing this blue and gold. It is so filthy, dirty, the blue and the gold. He, he said, picture the most beautiful place you've ever seen in any magazine, the most beautiful tropical paradise, bluest waters, clearest skies, greenest landscape, lush. Get that in your mind. Picture that. That is like a filthy, nasty rag compared to heaven. Here's how strong it is. 
He's there for over. You know how long 20 minutes is in eternity? My man was in eternity for 20 minutes. That's a long daggone time. And he got to meet those that he knew. He got to talk, the very first person, his dad. He has a conversation with his dad. Then he meets all these other people that had gone on and passed before him. And he's having conversations with them. All these people that he knew. And then Jesus himself walks up. He has a conversation with Jesus. Now he is in what Paul describes as paradise. And then he gets prayed right back here. That, which is an amazing part of the story. He's in the back of the ambulance. The paramedics have quit working on him. They've gone out of the ambulance to notify his wife. He's gone. There's nothing else we can do. While they're outside the ambulance, his heart starts. He comes right back in. Here's the comparison between here and there. Bobby was depressed for a year. Say, Eddie, but what about his wife? What about his children? Again, it's hard to explain, but when you're there, you're an attorney, and yes, they're not there, but you know they're going to be there like that. Like we're not picturing going somewhere where you're never, ever going to see your loved ones again. When you get to heaven, you don't start over. Like when you get there, it is everything you always imagined life would be. You're not, it's not like you're up there and you're floating around, you know, and you're in this white space and then somebody else floats by and you're like, hey, you're like, hey, no, man, you're standing. You've got a body. You're in the presence of God here. So here's what I look for. And I know, I know for some people it's hard because your life here has just been so awesome and so great. And I'm excited for you. I love that. And you can't imagine it getting any better. But for somebody like me, man, my mom and dad, God bless, my mom and dad are in heaven right now, but glory to God, they left this earth exactly the way they came in. They didn't have the opportunity to take this journey towards wholeness that you and I are getting and build a family that loves God and is centered. They didn't get any of that. But thank God they're in heaven, and I know that. I, I was there when they made the decisions to accept Christ. So they're in heaven, so I get to look forward to a mom and dad that I never experienced here. A mom and dad that are who exactly who they were created to be by God. I get to experience that family. And I'm an only child. I'm an only child. And there were five more before me that never made it out of the womb. That's five brothers and sisters, man, that I've never met. That's an entire family. And that's just this little tiny bit of my little blip on the radar. I've got, I've got grandparents and greats and great. There's people I'm going to meet that I don't even know. And I'm going to see how those people prayed for God to bless their family and to bless the generations that would come. And I'm going to get to see how their prayers from 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago affected my life today. It's an unbelievable place that you and I can't even imagine. But we do need to. We need to imagine heaven. It's what Jesus did in Hebrews. It says, this is the source of Jesus' life. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So even Jesus, when he was here and when he was headed to that cross, the thing that gave him the, the ability to withstand what was coming, to be able to take it, yes, love was a part of it, but beyond that was him knowing the joy of what was coming. That this was going to be light and it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrific, but it's going to be one and done. And then boom, for all eternity, all mankind, all that will say yes to Jesus Christ are set for eternity. And we'll spend all eternity with God in a place that they can't even imagine. But we have to. 
So how do we do that? I mean, we're not like Paul. We didn't go to heaven. We're not like Bobby. We didn't go to heaven. So there's lots of ways you can do it. This word is full of pictures and images of what it's going to be like. The book of Revelation. You know, the, the church nowadays, when you talk about Revelation, people are like, oh, man, I don't get into that. That's confusing. There's scary stuff in it. The book of Revelation is meant to get you jacked up and fired up. That's why God gave it to us. It is the layout of everything that's happening in time from here on. Laid out completely in his word. That's why he says the only place in the Bible where he says, blessed is the one who hears this revelation and blessed is the one who reads this revelation. That's why I think the enemy has worked so hard to get the church's eyes off of revelation. Because I think when it comes down to these three areas, your past, your present, your future, I think for most of us, I think we've got a, a decent handle on the past. I think we've got a decent handle on the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ has paid the price for all my sins. And I think we've got a pretty decent handle on, you know, I know God's at work in my life right now and I know he's doing things. I might not understand how it's working or how it's going, but I know that's the truth. I know he's with me. I know he's walking with me. I think when it comes to our future beyond this planet, I think that is the biggest question mark for most Christians. Gigantic question mark. And you know what's in the unknown is fear. There's fear in the unknown. It doesn't have to be unknown. There's no reason for it to be unknown. We can fill in the blanks. We can go to God's Word. And find, then you can read from people who have been there. Two books I want to recommend to you. Bobby's book, which is When Lightning Strikes, One Man's Journey to Heaven and Back, and Imagine Heaven by John Burke. Bobby's story is, I was talking to somebody last service, they use his book as an evangelism tool to give to people who have that question. What happens when you die? Like, what, like what happens? Where do, you, where do you go? What's it like? And then John Burke, he interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people that had the same experience Bobby did. And they all experienced heaven in different areas, different geographical locations, if you would. And by the time you read all these different people's stories, you begin to picture this amazing place that is full of light and love and joy and laughter. And it makes it real. It makes it tangible. It's not airy-fairy. It's not fat cherubs playing violins floating in the clouds. It's good stuff. And so I think when it comes to you and I, if we're going to get a handle on this, if we're going to find a way to keep moving forward in this battle of life, I came up with this little thing. So this is your pill, okay? This is your medicine. I, people love to take a pill. Hey, man, can you, can you give me a pill to help me lose weight? You know, can you give me a pill to make my hair grow back? I don't, neither one of them things work, by the way. Just ask me. I know. <laughs> so here's my pill for you. And I, and I can promise you this. I can guarantee you this. If you'll commit to this, if you would just commit to this for the next month and take this pill for the next month every single morning and start your day this way, I can guarantee you your inner world would change. I can guarantee you your joy factor is going to go up. Your hope factor is going to go up. Your ability to get through whatever you're going through, all of that's going to go up. Here's the pill. You got to daily drop the weight, fix your eyes on Jesus, and imagine heaven. You do all three of those. This is, this is what we as Christians call devotionals. This is what we call spending time with God. And spending time with God should have all of those in there. Let me read something to you from Colossians that I just thought was really cool. So we're going to drop the weight, fix our eyes on Jesus, and imagine heaven. This is Colossians 3, first couple of verses. And so again, this is Paul talking. 
He's talking about our new life that we have. So he's looking at this big picture thing. He's like, look, man, this is your old life right here. Yeah, I get the facts are you're still here. You're still on this planet. You're still going through this stuff. But that's your old life. You got a new life now that you got Christ in your heart. You become a new person. And let me tell you about that. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, your new life is guaranteed. It is locked away. Nothing can break into that safe. You got a double safe of Jesus and God. So your new life is hidden with Jesus, and then God's got that locked up. So your new life, your eternal life, who you've always meant to be for all eternity, that is locked up if you have received that free gift of salvation from Jesus, which all you got to simply do is just receive it. If you just say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Lord. And, and I'm sorry, I have been living my life myself, and I need you. Would you please forgive me and come into my life? Done deal. That's, that literally is all you have to do, is ask him to come into your life, and he will. But this whole daily thing of dropping the weight, fixing your eyes on Jesus, imagining heaven, if we would make that a part of every single morning, because the thing is, all of those, they wane, right? We all know about forgiveness and dropping the past, but some weird reason, four or five days later, it's, it, like, it starts creeping back up. And we all know that God is walking with us through the present. We all know he's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And we have that moment, but then a few days later, it start, the anxiety starts coming back up and the fear starts coming back up. And maybe even out every now and then you get a good glimpse of what you think heaven is going to be like and it gets you excited. But then a few days later, it's like that picture starts to fade. So every day we need this. We need a dose of it every single day to keep it alive and keep it growing. And I was doing this the other day in my own time, and I had this list playing on YouTube, and this song came on. And when that song came on, oh, man. I was just imagining, because the song describes the day of Jesus' crucifixion is how it starts. And it really is like you're in heaven and getting a heavenly view of what happened. Like I just imagine the heavenly host watching what was going on on earth when Jesus was being crucified on that cross and only one person knew what was happening and that was God. And them watching it and trying to figure out what is the purpose, what is going to happen. But then we all know that when Jesus breathed his last breath on that cross, something happened in the supernatural that was so powerful and so strong was that it shook the earth itself. And the Bible says the earth shook and rocks split in two. And there was a veil that hung in the temple to separate people from the presence of God. And that veil ripped from the floor to the, or from the, floor to the ceiling. It split apart. And what we know happened was this. When Christ breathed his last breath on that cross and Satan was rejoicing because he believed he had killed the Son of God, the very next moment, the very next thing that happened was Jesus went right to the pits of hell, right where Satan's throne is, and marched in there like he owned the place, because he does. And Satan cowered at his feet, and Jesus simply held out his hands. And Satan put the keys to death, hell, and the grave right there. Amen. Amen. 
And Jesus walked away and he said, you have no power and no authority. My Father in heaven has given me all power and all authority. And now I have given that to every single follower who puts their faith and trust in me. And it's on now, Satan. It is on. Yeah, I got lost kids out there, but I'm raising up an army. And this army is going to know that they're called to be light in the darkness. And they're going to step into every hard time, every hard situation, and put their faith and trust in me. And when you come with your lying tongue and you try to tell them that I have left them, and when you try to tell them I'm not for them, and when you try to tell them I'm doing that in their life, they're going to go straight to the Word of God, and they're going to become warriors of faith, and they're going to know that they know that they know that Christ is fighting for them, and that they have won the battle, and that you have no power, no authority. That's what Jesus did. Whew, I got a little excited right there. All right, let's bring it down. Let's bring it down because here's what I want. I want us to practice that just for a minute. I want, you, I want to give you a taste of what I experienced that, that morning. So just close your eyes if you would because you're looking at me and there's nothing heavenly looking about me. <laughs> I just want you to imagine for a moment as we go through this song, I just want you to imagine that you are in heaven. And you may not have a good understanding of what that looks like. Let's, let's just say that you're there and you're surrounded by people that you love and people that love you, maybe people that have already gone, and you're in heaven and you can feel the presence of God so strong. You can feel his love and his peace and he's right there with you. And he gives you a glimpse into something that you and I weren't here for. He says, I want you to experience what it was like here in heaven when my son gave his life for you. I want you to experience not so much the sorrow of his death, but I want you to experience the joy of his victory. I want you to experience what it was like here in heaven when my son stepped back into the throne room and he had conquered death, hell, and the grave, and he had saved all of humanity for all time. And I want you to experience what it was like from our standpoint when the Savior of the world gave his life for you and then entered into heaven where now he sits and he intercedes for you every moment of every day. Experience this with us as we sing. May you touch it, just a little bit of it. Get just a little sense of it. Every day, every day you need that. Every day you need that reminder, man. Drop the weight. Don't let anything slow you down. Don't let anything pull you down. Man, just, just get your eyes on Jesus. What is it that he's doing? Because he's just doing something. He's with you. He's with you in the good times. He's with you in the bad times. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And what does the future look like? Because that is what charges your battery. Paul never said, man, my battery gets so charged up because Christ has forgiven me for what I did. He never said, man, I get so charged up because I know that God is working in everything that I'm doing right here. He said, man, when I think about that place where God brought me to and when he showed me where that is and what it is going to be like, that's the moment he became an unstoppable force. Because when, the, when literally when people would come against him, the church, the Roman soldiers would say, hey, man, you need to shut up with all this gospel stuff. He said, I, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I got to keep going. They're like, all right, well, you know what? We're going to kill you. He said, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Whew. Man, 
I've been needing that. Cause I'm going to tell you what, this world stinks. I'm ready to go. So just go ahead and kill me and I'm going to be in a better place. I'd appreciate it. What are you, you going to do with that? There's nothing you could do with that. If you don't kill him, he's not going to shut up talking about it. And if you kill him, he says, hey, if you kill me, I win. I mean, there's no battle against that. And that's the life that you and I are called to live. It's not pie in the sky. It's not pretending like nothing hard is going on. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the relationships. Tough stuff is happening. And we're going to need each other more and more and more. But this world's going to get darker and darker. It's going to get crazier and crazier. I mean, I used to read about stuff in Revelation just 15 years ago. I'm like, there's no way that can happen, God. How are you going to do that? Like something's going to happen in Jerusalem. Everybody's going to see it. You're going to like project it up there on the sky. What you going to... No, he's not going to do that. He's just going to move on a man like Elon Musk to put Starlink up. Bam, done deal. He's already got over 2,000 satellites up. He launched 57 last week. His goal is to have 24,000 here in about five years. So boom, there's how that all... So it's funny how everything in the whole world is lining up. We've never been in a period of time where globally everything is lining up for a one-world religion, a one-world economy, and a one-world government, just like God said it would. So that ought to get you jacked up and fired up. So when you're watching the news, you shouldn't be. But when you are, and they tell you how crazy you kill, man, God, this is exactly what you said was going to happen. Man, people are just literally eating each other out there. And then you're going to go out there, and you're going to be the nicest, sweetest, kindest, loving person. And people are going to look at you like you're crazy. Then they're going to say, ah, can I get what you have? Can I have that? Can you share that with me? Oh, yes, I can. Oh, yes, I can, because it's what I'm called to do. So I bless you with the truth. Everybody in this room, every one of you guys online, you are called to be a light in the darkness. And the darker it gets and the crazier it gets, the more God wants to use you to bring light and life into this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.